Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal Worship Service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. First, we see here that a wife is a good thing. He who finds a wife finds a good thing, which corresponds nicely to what we read in the creation account. It is not good that man should be alone. And since it was not good that man should be alone, what did God do? He made man a helper comparable to him. We read it in Genesis 2. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God designed mankind to live as man and wife. It was so from the beginning. We are to live in communion with each other as a race, but the closest community God gives us is the relationship found in marriage. In fact, it is so close that the two become one. This is also what God meant when he created man in his own image. He created him male and female so that they could be an image of multiplicity in unity. Like God, there is more than one person, but they are one. Also, like God, in marriage, a man is fruitful in a way that is impossible without a wife. The long and short of it is that it is good for a man to be married. God created him for it, and God made marriage for him. It is the only lawful way for him to obey and fulfill one aspect of the creation mandate, namely, to be fruitful and multiply. Therefore, the normal expectation for men is marriage. This proverb also teaches that the favor of a wife is to be sought from God and not on our own. We see that a wife is a blessing from the Lord. He who finds a wife obtains favor from the Lord. Eve was certainly a gift from God to remedy the one thing in creation about which God said it is not good. God is sovereign and God provides wives to men. And this proverb teaches that this is the case in the regular experience of men and was not simply Adam's experience. Because a wife is a blessing from God, when a man is on the hunt and searching for a wife, he must do it in faith. Marriage is a very intimate relationship, and that intimacy cannot be sampled prior to the vows. When a man takes the initiative and pursues a bride, he is unable to know, ultimately, if the Lord will bless his pursuit or not, or if the woman is the right one for him, a helper. A helper comparable to him. Thus, he must walk in faith if he expects the Lord's blessing 
and aid. Finally, our culture has made a mockery of marriage with its horrendous divorce rate. The media and entertainment industries mock the sanctity and the purity of the marriage bed and the solemnity and the holiness of the marriage vows. The church, broadly speaking, has walked in lockstep with these idolaters, and we have much to confess and repent of if we want God's blessing. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. Now, if you're willing and able, please kneel as we confess our sins. So, Paul's authority and apostleship is defended in our text this morning. And, and the first thing we see is that Paul's authority is from God. Paul's gospel is direct from Jesus Christ. Verses 11 through 12, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now we covered this last week already. Um, we, we went from chapter 1, verse 1 through 12. Through verse 12. But uh, it, here it is in short. Paul's gospel is a direct revelation from Jesus Christ. And in this section of the text, he's, he's arguing that that is the case. And uh, Paul's gospel is a direct revelation from Jesus Christ, and we're going we're to study more about that specifically in a little while when we talk about his conversion. Before his conversion, Paul persecuted the church and tried to destroy it. As we'll see in verse 13, it was in this context that he was converted. Paul was, Paul was against the church, he was attacking the church, and then he was converted. So this shows us something, that once he was converted, he, he had the gospel. But he didn't have the gospel before he was converted. He was directly fighting against the church. He wasn't preached to, he wasn't taught the gospel, he wasn't mediated the gospel from anybody else. He was, he was a, among the, the vehement, angry leaders of the Jews that was attacking the church, persecuting the church, and trying to destroy it. He hated the gospel. And Jesus turned him like that on the Damascus Road. And we read in, in verses one, uh, verses 16 through 23, starting halfway through 16, uh, after Paul was converted directly by Jesus, he did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things I, which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. It's verses 16 through 23. So Paul, after converting, did not receive a mediated gospel 
from men or from former apostles. Instead, he went to the desert in Arabia. Then he went back to Damascus in Syria. The gospel was radiating out of Jerusalem. That's where the apostles were. He did not go to Jerusalem. Then he went to Jerusalem, but he was only there for 15 days. He wasn't there for a long seminary study session with Peter and, and uh, James and John. He saw Peter briefly for 15 days, and he saw James. And then Paul swears in verse 20. Now, according to the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Jesus teaches, let your yes be yes and your no, no. But there are occasions where lawful oath-taking is warranted and good and necessary. And this was one of them. Paul was proclaiming to the Galatians that what he's telling them, this part of his argument, nobody else can verify it, but he's, he's taking an oath before God that this is the truth. So this is one of those times when it's a good idea to give an oath. And so Paul does. And thus, he proclaims the truth of his story as he, he, as he has related it. According the th to the, uh, concerning the things which I write to you, I do not lie. So then, after Paul was in Jerusalem, briefly he went to his hometown, Cilicia and, and, and Syria. That would be Tarsus. He saw of Tarsus. That's, where the, that's in Cilicia. And Antioch, which is, was his home church. And finally, he argues, uh, so he went, to, he went to Syria and Cilicia, and we'll see next week that he was there for 14 years. He didn't go back to Jerusalem until 14 years later. So Paul's gospel has not been something that has been, he's learned from the people in, in Judea. Finally, he argues from his reputation in Judea. He was known only by hearing. He was known. The, the people in Judea knew of Paul. But this is what he says. He says, I, uh, I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. Now Paul is making a crucial point in his art for his argument in the book here. And what is it? Well, Paul's argument hinges on the fact that his gospel is pure and undefiled. It's undiluted, and it's directly from our Lord himself, from Jesus Christ himself. It, Paul's, Paul's gospel does not depend on the church in Jerusalem or Judea at all. He, he was given a gospel, and he went out, and, and we'll read in a second, when we read about his conversion, he was sent by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So Paul was converted, and he immediately goes and starts preaching his gospel to the Gentiles. And his, his gospel was not confirmed or validated by Jerusalem until 17 years plus later. And the whole time he's preaching the gospel, and finally when he does go to Jerusalem, which we'll, we'll study next week, when he goes there, he gets the right hand of fellowship from the apostles who validate his gospel that he's been preaching all this time. And he checks first with them in private. But again, more about that next week. So Paul's making a crucial point that he's, he's, his gospel does not depend on the apostles or, or Judea. Even though it was validated... 
But also Paul is defending himself from slander by the false prophets in Galatia. And these false prophets in Galatia had been intimating, and probably were intimating that, that Paul's gospel was truncated. It was incomplete. He didn't know the whole gospel. That's what, he's trying, that's what, that's what these false teachers in Galatia were trying to teach. They, they said that Paul was giving a misrepresentation of what he'd been taught by the Christians in Jerusalem. He hadn't been revealed the whole gospel yet. And Paul's saying, no, that's not true. Before God, I do not lie. Jesus Christ was revealed to me. And so now we come to Paul's conversion. Paul was converted from something. And we see very clearly what it was in verses 13 and 14. I'm sorry for skipping around in the text a bit today. I started at 11, 12, jumped to 16 to 23. Now we're going back to 13 and 14. But in 13 and 14, we see that Paul was converted. Uh, it, it, we, we saw that uh, uh, in, in 11 and 12. I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul's, this is Paul's justification in that he, was, he received it directly from Christ. Because they knew him by reputation. They knew him by reputation later that he was preaching the gospel, but they didn't know what he looked like. So he, that's, that's justification that he wasn't taught it by the Judeans. But here it's justification, his reputation is justification that he didn't have the gospel before he was saved. He was, he was attacking it. He was... He was a, a, he was a Jew, and he was he was attacking the church, trying to destroy it. And Paul's history makes it clear that he did not know Jesus before Jesus was revealed to him. And that's why, verse 13 starts, For you have heard. So Paul did not have the gospel from his past. It's not something he learned growing up. He didn't grow up in the church. He grew up in Judaism. And he and, and it was a Judaism that, that, that murdered our, our Savior, Judaism that, that hated our God. And this has importance for his arguments later on also. The false teachers in Galatia are no, now our theological name for them is they were Judaizers. What they were trying to do was add circumcision, add the, 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 the law, the requirements of the law to the Christian faith. And so, doing that, they were changing the gospel. And Paul knew this. He knew it from the inside out because he was one of them. He was, he was a Jew. He knew the way they thought. And he knew the way that they, they attained their salvation was by doing good works. And so, he knew as soon as he heard of it that these people that were t giving a false gospel, that were giving a perverted gospel what it was that they were doing, because he knew where they were coming from. They were Jews, and they were trying to bind the, the freedom of the Christians. They were trying to enslave the Christians to their code, to their law of slavery, to the law. 
So Paul knew what they were talking about because he was one of them. He knew Judaism from the inside out, and he advanced in it beyond many of his contemporaries. He wasn't only somebody who knew what was going on in Judea. He was, he was right at the core of it all. He studied under Gamaliel, studied under Gamaliel. He was a Benjamite. He, he, he was uh, zealous for the purity of the doctrines of, of the Jews to the degree that he was persecuting the church. So, thus he could define how the Jews, Judaizers were syncretizing the gospel. And moreover, he could accurately point out exactly where they got it wrong. Now, Paul was converted from that, from Judaism. But how was he converted? We're going to be reading the Acts passage of, of, of the conversion of Paul uh, shortly. But, but I want to read what our text has to say about it. First, I'll reread verse 12. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and then skipping down to verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So God revealed Jesus Christ to Paul. When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's room, womb, and called me through his grace to reveal his son. So God, who is sovereign, he, he points to God's sovereignty in that God separated me from my mother's womb. I didn't have any control over that. I was born, and here I was. And now... I'm trucking along through life without Christ, and now God's going to reveal Christ to me. And all of a sudden, bam, there I am. Now I know about Christ. I can't, I can't deny it. It's the truth. It's reality. Baby can't get back in the womb and, and try and say, I don't want to be a part of this. This is too cold. It's, too, it's just not what I want. Well, Paul, when Christ was revealed to him, couldn't crawl back into his cocoon of Judaism. He was shown a new reality, a new truth, something that he could not bury any longer. And not only was it just a new reality, but it was a reality of grace. It was God who called me through His grace. He called me through His grace, and then He did it at His pleasure. God did it at His pleasure. And we have a record of this intervention in Paul's life in Acts 9. That's Paul's Damascus Road conversion. And this certainly was a revelation. In fact, we see that twice in our text, in verse 12. Uh, God, there was a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in verse um, 16, God, God revealed Christ. And, and the word is a Greek word, it's the apocalypse is a revelation, and apocalypto is a verb, it means to reveal. And that's what the revelation of John is. It's a revelation, it's, it's exposing the world to what Jesus is going to do. The last book of the Bible. We'll get into that another time. So Jesus appeared to Paul on the road and demanded his attention. God intervened. 
Paul couldn't crawl back into the womb. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was there. He was three nights, three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Jesus intervened. Paul didn't have a choice in this one. He was, at, he's, he was, I mean, he had a mission. He was on it. He was on, he was on, on the go. He's going to go attack that church. He'd gone to the, the chief priest and got permission to, I mean, he was, he was already, you know, seizing men and women in, 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 uh, in Judea and Jerusalem, throwing them into jail. And he, and he went to the chief priest and said, let me attack them everywhere I find them. And so he's on his way to Damascus to do exactly that. He was, he was, he was, I mean, he's, he was a single-minded fellow. And Jesus said, no, uh, no more. You're done with that. Why are you persecuting me? A light shines down from heaven and a voice in Jesus. Paul Saul sees Jesus. Jesus revealed himself. And when Jesus does that, you can't turn away. Jesus is that kind of a God. That kind of a Lord. That kind of a man. He commands our attention. Now in our text, notice two of the Reformed Church's teachings are described here. There are two of the five points of Calvinism. First, we see the unconditional election of God. In verse, in verse 15, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me, at God's pleasure, God chose Paul. It's just at God's whim. When it pleased Him, when it, when it was desirable to Him, it was done. He unconditionally chose Paul. It wasn't because Paul was doing anything to help out the church. It wasn't because Paul was particularly a good guy. Al contraire, actually. The other uh, doctrine we see here is the irresistible grace of God. God called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me. When it pleased Him, He called me. And specifically, this is true in light of Paul's 180-degree turn. He's going one way, and God shoots him the other. In our text, paired up with Paul was how Paul was born the first time. Paul's, Paul's making a, a declaration here. He says, you know, God who separated me from my mother's womb. Like that, like when God brought me into this world, I had no control of that. God brought me into Jesus. God's... God's grace is irresistible when he, when he calls us. And just like that, Paul was separated from his former conduct in Judaism. Now Paul's conversion by God came with a manifesto. 
God had a specific calling on Paul's life. God had a reason for converting Paul. And it was a specific reason. That I might preach him among the Gentiles. God revealed Christ to Paul and revealed Christ in Paul. So God, God, Jesus Christ shows up at Paul's doorstep or on Paul's way and path and, and, and Paul says, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's, that's the only appropriate response when Christ comes into our lives. Lord, what do you want me to do? And Jesus says, go. Allow me to work through you to the Gentiles. And one more thought about this. The gospel is all about God's intervention. All of the gospel is about God's intervention. In the prophets, God promised that he would intervene. Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. God's promising here a gospel is promising a salvation that will be individual in our hearts. It will be between us and God. And He will reveal Himself to us, to each one of us. He will bind Himself to us. He'll, he'll write His law on our hearts. We won't have to be taught it. We won't, to have, we won't have to have priests sacrificing animals to make us right with God anymore. No, we can talk directly to God in prayer. In Jeremiah 32 Verse 40, I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts, so that they will not depart from me. The problem with the old covenant was that the men could break it. The Israelites broke it. The Israelites turned away from God. Paul marvels at the, at the, uh, at the Galatians. In, 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 uh, well, last week, he said, I marvel that you turned away so quickly, so soon, from the gospel that I taught. Well, God marveled that the Israelites turned away from him. As soon as they turned to him, when he took them out of the slavery in Egypt, and he blessed them with, with a new land, and cities they did not build, and he built up their kingdom, and gave them, they gave them rule over the entire known world to them, and he gave them all kinds of glory. What did they do? They turned away from God. In Jeremiah, God says, he marveled at that. But then he promises also that even though that they're in, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is a prophet who's preaching to the Israelites as they're about to be taken into exile to the tribe of Judah. But Jeremiah says, no, God still has a promise of good for you. And this, this is what Paul is teaching here. 
In Ezekiel 37, we read, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. This is a big deal. This is what Jesus and the apostles were talking about. When Jesus said, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Jesus was a man and Jesus was God. God was dwelling in men. And Jesus says, sure, kill me. In three days, I'll be back. That's the true temple. And it's not only that, but that temple is in each and every Christian. God has sent us His Holy Spirit so that we have an assurance of salvation. The good news of the Gospel, simply put, is that God intervened. Man couldn't do it. The Jews tried. They they tried really hard. They couldn't do it. They couldn't make themselves right with God. Their only hope was in faith. In faith of the promises of God. In faith that a Messiah would come. But the good news is that Jesus did come. God did intervene. Man couldn't do it, so God did. And moreover, the fact that God did it was not enough. He also had to teach it to us. It's the fact that God came and, and as a man and died for our sins, if that was all He did, it wouldn't be enough because we need to know about it. So God did it, but then... He revealed it to us. He revealed it to Paul. And he does it in such a way that it is incontrovertible. It's like being born. When God opens your eyes to the death and life of Christ, His suffering for you, and His living for you, and His ruling in heaven, when He opens your eyes to the truth of Scripture, you can't turn away from it. Not in good conscience. The fact that God became a man and then died for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God changes everything. God did it and He revealed it to us, sealing Christ on our hearts, just like He promised He would in the Old Testament. And we've already seen that Paul was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And last week we talked about how he was the apostle to the Gentiles and was stepping into Stephen's shoes, fulfilling Stephen's role in this. And so what was the result of this? How was Paul known by the established church in Judea? This is Paul's reputation. And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which, we want, which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Paul had a reputation for preaching the faith of the church, which he once tried to destroy. His conversion was known, and he was known for it. In fact, that is why he had to flee from Jerusalem after being there only 15 days when he went down to visit Peter. He was there, but the Jews among whom he had formerly been a leader and the chief persecutor of the church had set their sights on him. He was a bad, bad mistake on their part in their eyes. You know, here They'd sent him to attack the church and he comes back preaching the gospel, preaching the way that he had gone to persecute. 
We read in Acts 9, 26-30. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So as soon as... See, as soon as Saul shows up, he starts preaching boldly the gospel, and the Jews come to attack him. So the brethren, okay, we need to get this guy out of here. He's going to be toast if he sticks around very long. So they ship him off to Cilicia. And what was the result of this? He was known. He was known. That was one result. But the result, ultimately, was that they glorified God in me. The Jews of Judea, the Christian Jews of Judea, glorified God in Paul. And isn't that how it should be for each and every one of us? Weren't we all lost in our own way before God intervened on our behalf and brought his son into our lives? And it doesn't matter if you had a 180 degree turn like Paul did, or if you've grown up in a Christian home never knowing what it is to not know Jesus Christ. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have a sordid past, like Paul, or if you're squeaky clean. The long and short of it is is that if you're a Christian, God has intervened in your life. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross, If you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, if you're living with the fruit of the Spirit in your life, God has intervened in your life, and you should be living your life, which is a gift from God, in such a way that those who know you and know your reputation glorify God in you. Christians are temples that the Holy Spirit calls home. God doesn't dwell in temples of stone or in church buildings. This is not God's home. It's a church building. You are God's home. You are God's temple. God has written the law in our hearts by binding himself to us in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit. The natural and the only acceptable reaction to this is that we glorify God And like Paul, inspire others to do the same. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let's pray.
of a better and a greater proverb. God wants to marry himself to mankind, and he does so in Christ and the church. God was not content to let us be outside of him. Instead, he intervenes by drawing us into fellowship with him. And this is, the only, and this is only possible because Jesus' love purifies and cleanses his bride. He loved us on the cross, and he loves us in this meal. Here he gives us of himself, so that he can, so that we can become one body and become like him. So as we participate in this marriage feast, let us rejoice that our Lord and husband is worthy of all glory and praise and honor, and he humbled himself to be united to such as we are. Praise God. This table is for all who are baptized and under the authority of Christ in his body the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine with us, you are acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God, and that you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Christ's body Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.